G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Truth of the matter is, when we want to get God involved in our lives, we pray like we never have prayed before. Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll begin a new series about the Lord's Prayer, the outline Jesus gave us for prayer. We begin with the first phrase, Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus is asked by the disciples, teach us to pray. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, just open your mouth and start speaking. No, he actually listened. Because in their minds, they look at the life of Jesus. And when Jesus prays, great things happen. This is Today with Jeff Bynes. Glad that you're here. I told this story, I think, maybe the first time I preached at Christ Church of the Valley. Uh, I'm not sure, but it's so uh, appropriate to set up what we're going to be talking about as we move into a new series that I want to tell it again. Also, I see new faces, faces I've never seen before, and I'm sure that those of you who have heard it, I need you to serve as the critical mass and laugh really hard so that they'll laugh with you, okay, even though you've heard it. And it's the story I told you about my good friend Tony Bennett, who coaches up at Washington State University. This is not the smooth singing jazz singer now. This is the Tony Bennett who coaches basketball up there with the Cougars. Done a great job. Tony told me in 1994 when he was playing with the the Charlotte Hornets, which at that time they were a new franchise, they were getting ready to go to game seven against the Boston Celtics at home. And if they were to win this game, it would be the first time in Hornet franchise history that they would advance to the second round of the playoffs. So the Charlotte Hornets, Boston Celtics, even Robert Parrish was still playing them, big center for the Celtics. And so they go into the locker room and they do what most teams do when they want to get God involved, right? Now you haven't talked to God like for years, but now you need some help from above. And so coach brings them into the locker room and he starts talking to them, giving them the pet talk. At that time, Tony Bennett told me there were two multi-million dollar mountain of men who played for the Hornets on his team. There was Alonzo Mourning and Larry Johnson. Tony at that time played backup point guard to Muggsy Bogues, one of the smallest players ever to play in the NBA. And so he's seated beside Alonzo, Larry Johnson's down at the end, and the coach says, Larry, I'm going to go through this pregame speech, and then I I want you to stand, and I want you to lead the team in the Lord's Prayer. About that time, Alonzo Morning looked over to Tony Bennett and said, this is going to be hilarious. Larry doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And Tony said, oh, you got to be kidding me. This is America. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. And he said, I'm telling you, Bennett, Larry doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. This is going to be hilarious. And sure enough, Tony said, I looked down to the end of the bench and Larry was sweating profusely, just sweat dropping off of him as the coach was nearing the end of his speech. And Tony started to think for a moment, maybe Alonzo's right. But Alonzo just kept poking him in the chest with his elbow saying, man, watch this. It's going to be hilarious. Comes to the end of the speech. Coach says, Larry, stand now. I want you to lead the team in the Lord's Prayer. And Larry stands, they join hands. And he says, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake. And Tony said, Jeff, that wasn't the funny part. 
Funny part was when Alonzo Mourning looked at me and said, man, he does know the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, when we want to get God involved in our lives, we pray like we never have prayed before. As a matter of fact, come on, we've all had hopes and dreams, right? When we started out, we were younger. I'll tell you mine, it's a popular place to say this. I wanted to be Steve Garvey. I wanted to play first base for the L.A. Dodgers. I had my little blue radio there in East Tennessee where I could listen to that one little headphone jack and listen to every time that Steve Garvey came up to bat. I mean, I had the whole team memorized. Garvey at first, Lopes at second, Russell at short, Say at third, Jaeger behind the plate, Dusty Baker in left, Rick Monday in right, but I never could until this day. Please somebody tell me before, because I keep forgetting. Who was in center field? Jim Wynn. There's a man of God in the house. Problem with that is Proverbs says a man makes an argument that sounds right until the next guy comes along. I'm sure somebody's going to tell me. So this was my team. And every time Garvey came to the plate, as a little eight-year-old, I'm down there on the floor hunkered down because you have to be in the right space to hear the radio reception. And every time Garvey comes to bat, I'm praying that he gets a hit or a home run because he's like my hero. No, he is my hero. And I just wonder if Steve Garvey knows that his success was related directly to my prayer life. Because, you know, I think he would thank me if he knew that. But he was my hero. Now, come on. You had, you had things and dreams when you wanted or when you were growing up, didn't you? I mean, let's be honest. How many of you wanted to be, now, you're in church, tell the truth, a rock star? Okay, if you rock stars, thank you for your honesty. How many of you wanted to be maybe athletic star like I did? Come on, raise your hands. My goodness, some of you just need to get a dream for crying out loud. Okay. How many of you maybe had a little bit more of a lofty goal, like an astronaut? Okay, thank you. Or how about the President of the United States? How many of you thought, man, that's what I want to be. Thank you, President of the United States. I often wonder this week, what would it have been like if Dane Johnson would have been President of the United States? Because I'm thinking... I'm thinking if Dane Johnson were the president, he would like, his whole administration would be taking people behind the woodshed. (laughs) Maybe he actually, maybe he would make a good president, actually. Dane Johnson for president. You know, the Lord's Prayer, what I want to take you to this morning has been a journey in my life. It's been something that I've struggled with and I'm still struggling with it. So I want you to take this as something that I'm not preaching to you, but I'm talking with you because we all struggle. The journey is invaluable to recognize what's going on here because if we can grab hold of this, Jesus is asked by the disciples, teach us to pray. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, just open your mouth, start speaking. No, he actually listens. Because in their minds, they look at the life of Jesus and when Jesus prays, great things happen. Dreams come true. And they want God involved in their lives like God is involved in Jesus' life. Because at this point, They don't really understand completely Jesus' identity. They just know when he prays, miracles happen. So here's what I'd like you to do. The disciples say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And to respect again today, we won't always do this, the authority of the word of God. Would you stand with me as we read the word? And since we are reciting the Lord's Prayer, I'm not going to read it to you. I want you to say it with me together. The translation I'm using will be on the screen. Let's do it together. Here's how it goes. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now stay standing. I'm going to read a passage to you that I believe is directly related to what happens here when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray. You don't have to repeat this. Just listen carefully as I read from Luke 22. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now be seated. And here's my question for you just as we get started. What would it have been like for Jesus hours before he goes to the cross? What would it have been like? This is Today with Jeff Vines. We're hearing about the nature of Jesus as God and man who taught us to pray using what we know as the Lord's Prayer. What would it have been like for Jesus hours before he goes to the cross? Now we know a little bit about that because we just read from Luke twenty-two forty-four. The Bible says about Jesus and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, folks, the Bible is not, is not legend. It is recorded by trustworthy historians, as it is in, in Luke's case. This is an actual medical condition, sweating drops of blood, from two words, hema and tedrosis. It is a word that means or describes the effusion of blood into the perspiration glands. Blood goes into your sweat. But here's the thing about it. It's rare. It does still happen. But to get to that point, you've got to be so anxious and so afraid, and so concerned that something happens in the physical part of your body that leads to blood entering into the sweat glands. Now, this is Jesus we're talking about. You know, the same guy who said, don't worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. And we find Jesus right here to such a point of despair and fear and anxiety that he's sweating drops of blood. Why? Well, I want to give you a few reasons I believe. Number one is this. I don't think it's sacrilege to assume that Jesus had dreams of his own. That as he grew to be a man, he would have seen an attractive woman just like we guys see an attractive woman. And he would have had thoughts about settling down, maybe having marriage and maybe having children, maybe a house on the top of the city of Jericho, maybe a batch by the Sea of Galilee. Whatever the case, Jesus in his humanity would have had dreams. You say, Jeff, that's sacrilege. I can't believe my pastor's talking like that. Well, that's because most of us misunderstand the treasure of the incarnation. Remember what Paul says, or the writer rather of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, 15, when he says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Now look up here. This is something we could preach a whole series of messages on. Maybe one day we will. But the Bible is very clear that when Jesus came to the earth, according to Philippians chapter 2, that he emptied himself. It's the Greek word kenosis. Thousands of pages have been written by theologians on this issue. But if we can take it down to what most of them agree about, it's this. That although Jesus never stopped being God in essence... That never changed. He willingly laid aside some of the privileges associated with being God. Now, he never stopped being that thing. 
But he, he willingly said, I'm going to put this over here. He takes his omnipotence, all-powerfulness. He never stops being all-powerful, but he says, I'm going to lay this here and not use it. So he has to walk everywhere he goes. He says, I'm going to take my omniscience, my knowing all things, even though I never stop having the ability, I'm going to lay it over here and I'm going to limit my knowledge. Because it wouldn't be fair. If he's going to be tempted like you and me in every way, it's not fair if you know the outcome every time. That's not real temptation. In order to live the life we live and to experience the life we experience, to relate with us, and maybe it's not so much that he had to learn to relate, but for us to realize he did relate. That he lays aside those things. It is not sacrilege to assume then that the greatest temptation known to man Jesus would have experienced, and you know what it is? To live for your will and your purposes and your agenda rather than somebody else's. Now the second thing is this. It's not hard to imagine the tension Jesus felt in the garden. Now you think about this. How many thousands of crucifixions do you think Jesus saw before his own? The Romans were notoriously good at this. They'd string you up or nail you up right out in the countryside. And they had it down to an art form. They would keep you alive as long as possible and your blood would drip slowly hour after hour until you died. As a graphic illustration to everyone who saw this, what happens when you mess with Rome? As a matter of fact, we have a first century Stoic by the name of Seneca who writes in the annals of history, that it would be better to commit suicide than actually face the cross. This is what he writes. It's on the screen. Can anyone be found who would prefer wasting away in pain, dying limb by limb, or letting out his blood drop by drop, rather than expiring once and for all? Can any man be be found willing to be fastened to an accursed tree, long, sickly, already deformed, swelling with ugly wheels on shoulders and chest, and drawing the breath of life amid long, drawn-out agony? He would have many excuses for dying even before mounting the cross. Now you put yourself in Jesus' place in his humanity because he's laid aside some of those things you think that Jesus employs. How about every time you see a crucifixion, it comes to your mind that you're going to die like that one day. You don't think Jesus saw crucifixions and go home that night in the carpenter shop and make his bed and go to sleep and think, you know what? I'm going to die that way one day and the nightmares and the pain, you don't think that Jesus in his humanity started thinking somewhere along the line, you know what? I've got hopes. I've got dreams in humanity. Maybe the Father, surely the Father who loves me. You don't think this was a temptation? Surely the Father who loves me would never require something like that when he gets right down to it, that I die a cruel death on a cross. Number three, it's not hard to understand Jesus' prayer then. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, the Bible says, Jesus prays more earnestly. It's from two Greek words, one to stretch and the other out. To stretch out. It's not talking about the position from which Jesus prays. It's talking about Jesus keeps praying because he hears from God what God's will is for him, but he keeps praying saying, God, please, let's talk about another way. This is extremely difficult. Please let this cup pass from me. And he prays all night. Because his dreams and hopes and the human experience, he knows in the garden, are going to come to an end. So he says, isn't there an easier way? Another way we can accomplish this God? Now follow me. Back to the disciples' question now. The disciples say, Jesus, please teach us to pray. And Jesus, listen, Jesus responds in a way that he had learned to pray to deal with the temptations of his life. You say, learned? How can Jesus learn? 
Luke chapter uh, 2 talks about Jesus growing in wisdom and stature. Well, you can't grow in wisdom if you have all full wisdom already. Right? So he's learning. When the disciples ask him to teach them to pray, Jesus in effect says, here's how I want you to pray because it's going to enable you to overcome the temptations of your life, the primary one being to live for yourself. And he says, when you pray, begin like this. Our Father who is in heaven. Now look up again. First thing to remember, Jesus says, that God is your Father. That's going to be new information because between Malachi and Matthew, we've got 400 years where God is silent. And the people in Jesus' day started to look at God as this far away distant judge. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, you've got it all wrong. He's your father. He uses an Aramaic term or relational to it, Abba, which means that God places an enormous high value on every one of you. And he loves you and always has your best interest in mind. To kind of illustrate this, I read an article. A guy walks in in San Francisco to a, uh, an antique shop. Now, he's an antique dealer himself. And the first thing he notices is there's this expensive uh, vase from the Ming Dynasty. It's on the floor in the shop, and the cat's drinking out of it. So he sees this, and he says, Wow, this antique dealer obviously does not know the value of this dish. Or this vase. But he had to try to find a way to purchase it without giving away what he knew. So he said to the antique owner, he says, I'll tell you what. I haven't seen anything in here that I really like, but I really like your cat. Could could I buy your cat who's drinking milk from this vase now? He said, "Uh, well, no, the cat's not. I'll give you a hundred. I'll give you a thousand dollars for that cat. Antique dealer says, okay, it's your cat. He said, now, now that I purchased the cat, I think to make the transition from your home to mine a little easier, I'm going to need the vase, you know, that little uh, dish that he's drinking his milk out of. it. Just make it that easier. And the antique dealer said, well, no, I could never do that. That's a vase from the Ming Dynasty. But interesting thing, since I started putting milk in it, I've sold 17 cats. That's what the word Abba really means. That we place value on things on the earth that sometimes make no sense. But the word Abba means that God places value on you in a way that you could never fully comprehend. That God is your father. He loves you, places enormous value on you. And his purpose in your life is to love you. And his intentions for you are always that of a father and a child. Now, Jesus says, once you said that and you understand it, move to the second part. Understand that your father is in heaven. Now, this is that Greek word, uranos. It means atmosphere. It's translated heaven. It's translated atmosphere. It's translated the heavens. But I think what Jesus is getting out here, he's trying to say, when you pray and you come to God, first of all, acknowledge that God is your father who loves you and has his, your best interest in mind and places an enormous amount of value on you. But then the next thing you need to remember is he's in heaven. He's in the atmosphere. He's closer than the air that you breathe. And even though there'll be times in your life you think he's far away and distant because your life is not turning out the way you hoped it would because you're living on the boulevard of broken dreams, the reality is, remember, God is closer than the air that you breathe. Thank you for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. We're hearing about the Lord's Prayer bit by bit. Please join us next time as we continue to hear about our Father who art in heaven. You're in enormous pain. There's enormous suffering. 
there's doubt, there's despondency, despair. It is possible for you to be right there and still be in the very center of the will of God. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.